0: Um, last week, we were looking at the, you know, our, our approach to God as pictured for us in the Old Testament, Old Testament tabernacle. I might Let me just get a drink now and see if I can talk afterwards. I think it worked. Okay. The Old Testament tabernacle was this tent that the Israelites, they would put it up wherever they were living. As they were traveling through the wilderness, they put this tent up. They would tear it down when God told them to move, and they would move it, and they would set it up again. And the purpose of that tent was for the the presence of God to dwell inside of the tabernacle, right? There was three tribes that lived to the north of the tabernacle. There was three tribes to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. And so God, the presence of God, dwelt in the very center of all of the nation of Israel, right? And there was a process they had to go through uh, each year, the, only the high priest could go in. We talked about all of these things last week, and we saw how all of these things were not just this thing that happened in the Old Testament that this priest had to do in order for them to be forgiven for their sins every year. It was actually something really cool that pictures our personal approach to God every day as we can approach Him now. Right? There there's some cool details. If, if you're interested and you weren't here, weren't able to, to listen to that, please not, not because I want you to listen to me, but I think you need to take advantage of looking at that tabernacle and seeing the pictures that God puts in there so that you can understand, Man, our approach to God is a very serious thing. It's a very detailed thing that he put all those pictures in, in for us in the Old Testament, and it's just such a cool thing. I was gonna do that as just the introduction last week, and the more I got into studying it, I was like, this has to be the whole thing. We've, we've gotta just spend some time looking at our approach to the presence of God. We can't just make light of it. We just, it, it. It's just too important as we approach him to have the right heart attitude, to have the right understanding of who he is, how serious we should take that. You know, we saw the, the Old Testament picture. The, the high priest had to go in there. We talked about this last week. He had to have bells on the bottom of his garment, and, and they tied a rope around his ankle, and if those bells stopped ringing is because he fell over dead inside of there, because he didn't do things right and he didn't take it serious and he didn't approach a holy God in the right way. And now we know that because of Jesus Christ, he tore that veil and all of us messed up sinners can come to him as we are. Right, amen. We don't have to send one guy in for us and hope he does it right so that, number one, he comes out alive, and, and number two, we get forgiven for another year. We have access because the veil's been torn in half, and now we have access to God ourselves, but that doesn't mean we ought to take it lightly, right? We ought to go in with the reverence that God deserves, and so that's, that's what we talked about last week, and again, that's all the more I planned on talking about it last week, and the more I got into it, it was like, yeah, we've, we've got to spend some time here. We've got to camp out, camp out at the, the tabernacle a little bit, pun kind of intended. Uh, <clears throat> so, tonight, what, what I wanted to talk about last week was, was prayer. I wanted to get into just that fifth part where the, the, the uh, altar of incense and how that represents prayer. But, so now we, we got here tonight. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, is a, is a cool little passage, um, and we're going to use it to kind of springboard into a parallel passage in Matthew. So stay in Matthew. Luke should be on the, the screen here. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying, this is Jesus, in a certain, certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So they've, they've been watching John the Baptist. He's spending time with the Lord. He taught his disciples, his followers, how to, to speak to, to God the Father. And here they are seeing Jesus praying and something he was doing was standing out. T- teach us to pray like, like you pray and, and so what we're going to cover tonight is just Christ's pattern, the, the pattern that he lays out for his disciples, how to talk to God the Father. all right and so that's, that's what we're going to get into um, and we see that you you see basically the same thing in this, this passage in Luke 11, uh, it's like w- verses one through four, but I, I like the It's a little bit more detailed in Matthew chapter 6, so we're going to go with that one. So go ahead and read with me, and we'll look at what Christ himself said. This is how you ought to talk to my dad. Basically, you know, if you want to go talk to my dad, this is how you ought to do it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, before we go any further and look at your notes and do all that stuff, let's just go ahead and talk to the Father for a second and ask him to, to guide our hearts as we look at the way he says to pray. Okay. Lord, you are, you are incredible. You are hallowed. You are... You're, you're set apart from anything we know in this world, and you do deserve all worship and praise, and, and we're asking tonight that, that you would do in our hearts um, what you did for the disciples. Show us the, the manner in which we should approach you, obviously with humility, but help us to understand how to do these things and why these things are important, and and uh, mostly, we, we want to commune with you. We want to approach you. We want to be in your presence. And we want to do it the right way. And so I pray that you teach us some things. Uh, this is a very familiar passage. So I pray that you would help us to, to keep our focus, keep our attention on these things and to learn something and go away um, with the ability and the understanding of how to get close to you on a regular basis. And again, we're so thankful that you made the way for us to be able to do that. Thank you for your son and for his sacrifice and for Everything that that means to us, I pray that if there's anybody in here tonight that does not know you personally as their Savior, Lord, that tonight would be the night that they would understand it and be able to take ownership of that themselves. And I pray that you you would help us to make it clear to them and how to do that. So, again, we we love you. We thank you for your Word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All right. So, if you look in this same passage a few verses back, beforehand. It says not to use vain repetition as the Pharisees do, right? Vain repetition means meaningless or empty repetition. How many of you have ever heard this prayer before? How many of you have ever played sports and before every sporting event in the locker room you, you chant this very word-for-word prayer? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's vain repetition, because it's a memorized thing. It's, it's, isn't that ironic that Christ says, don't just use vain repetition, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. It was pray in this manner, in this way. This is how to pray, not what to pray. And so he was giving an example of the things that we ought to go through while we're processing, you know, I'm going to approach God and I'm going to ask him for some stuff. Well, why don't you approach me this way, is what he's saying. Why don't you start with this and go through this, and then, then by the time you get to the point where you're ready to ask me for some things, your heart is going to be in the right place, and I'm going to be ready to give you those things. And so that's what this pattern is for, and that's why he's laid it out for us. The first thing I want us all to see, though, is in verse 9, he starts off and says, Our Father, which art in heaven, and I, I've studied this passage before, and you know, this is the perfect place to go for our pattern for prayer. But this time, however, something I, I just kept noticing as I'm looking up different cross-references and, and different things about these five things that he shows us here, almost all of these, the cross-references, have something to do with the Father. And it might not seem amazing to you, but like I, as I study it, you know, like you look up the word Father for this point up at the top, and then you move on to the other words that are in the other phrases and verses. But Father comes up in every single one of these. This is all about our relationship with the Father. This is how, you know, we we saw last week, there's one way to get to the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. If, If you're not okay with Jesus, you're not okay with God, is what he's saying. If you've got the blood of Jesus Christ that's washed you free from your sins, and forgiven your debt, you're okay with the father, right. if you've come through him first. Every single one of these points has some sort of thing that, that, that takes us right back to the father, and so as we go through these, try and listen for and look for that capital F, father. It's not just, not your dad, it's, it's Christ's dad, and, and he gets the capital F because that's his name, he's father. Uh, so I just wanted to call that to our attention as we start into these, The other thing that's really cool about that little phrase, our father, which art in heaven, everybody's got a dad. Whether they're in your life or not, whether they're a great dad or terrible, right? There's there's a big gap in there. I get that. Uh, I grew up, personally, I don't know my dad. I have one picture of him. He had an afro. It's from the (laughs) 70s, right? He was holding my older brother in this picture. That's the only time I've ever seen him. I don't know him. I never met him. Apparently, he was around for several months, and then he was gone. And so, my picture of a father, when I read this verse, when I first got saved, our father which aren't in heaven, Jesus is saying, he's, he's like your dad, but he's the one up there. Okay, so, so picture your dad. Okay, he's like your dad, but he's, he's in heaven. You know what I saw? I, I don't naturally just go back to the Afro picture and say, oh, he's like that guy. Okay, cool. No, there is no picture. I don't know what the guy looks like. I don't have any connection. I I don't know what that means. So maybe that's where you are. Maybe you grew up without a dad. Maybe you grew up with a terrible dad. There there are things I learned about my dad later in life that I thought, wow, you know what? I think God actually protected me from that dude. I, I think God was actually looking out for me when I was a kid because that could have been really, really bad. So for me, it, it was hard to picture. Maybe, maybe you got a great dad, and, and praise the Lord for that. I, we talked about your testimony a few weeks back and, and how some people feel sorry because, you know, my testimony is just not all that great. You know what your testimony is? If you grew up in church and you got saved young, your testimony is that your father or mother or both or their grandparents had an awesome testimony, and the incredible testimony that you have is that your lineage has been walking with God for years and years. That's a great testimony. That's a fun, you don't need a story that, that God t- pulled you out of the muck and mire. He pulled somebody out of that somewhere along the line, and, and you had the privilege of not making all those mistakes because they chose to walk with God. Maybe that's your dad. That's awesome. And maybe you're somewhere in between, and maybe, maybe there's abuse, and maybe there's all kinds of different mess that messes up your view of God the Father. The awesome thing is that God the Father did it perfect and does it perfect and will not let you down and will not abuse you. He's always going to be there. He's not going to walk away. And so, as we get into this point and we see these other points, think about Think about that perfect father. If your dad's a bad example, that's okay. There's some things that he did right. First and foremost, we have to recognize, we have to have a divine recognition of the father. We come to the father who is God, the creator of everything. And so we come to him offering praise. That's point one, divine recognition, offering praise to the father. We looked at this verse last week. It's one of my favorites. Revelation four eleven says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. And my purpose is to bring him pleasure. Right. That's what I was created for. Right. So when I approach him, man, that's the first thing I ought to want to do. It's to bring him pleasure first, not, not just say, hey, Dad, i want to take the car keys this weekend. You know? I, I want something, God. Can I have, can, I, can you get me out of this trouble that I got in? No. The first thing I ought to, I ought to do when I approach him is, is, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. I ought to offer praise to him. It says, hallowed be thy name. That means set apart holy above everything else revelation 5:12 says saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing see he's like any other father he's your dad but but he's the heavenly father he's the perfect version even without the sacrifice on the cross he's worthy But he did that too. Exodus chapter 20 is the first time we see this word hallowed. Verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart. See, every other day is the same. This one's different, this one's special. This one's different than the rest. You set it apart. That's what we ought to do with God. Every person in your life is the same. They're people, they're flawed, they're broken, they're messed up, your dad included. But not this one. This one's set apart. God is is not like everybody else. He's above everybody else. He's he's perfect, and he's holy, and he's, he's hallowed. Leviticus twenty-two thirty-two 32 says, Neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. See, when you set him apart, he turns around and sets you apart as special to him. What an awesome, what an awesome reaction that is. Do we deserve that? No way, absolutely not. You ever heard the, the phrase to take the Lord's name in vain? Or profanity. He just says, neither shall you profane my holy name. When you take on his name and you live like everybody else, and you treat him as though he owes you something, and you don't set him apart, he calls that profanity. That's, that's like cussing. <laughs> right. That's just vulgar to him. And it's certainly the wrong approach, isn't it? So we, when we're going to approach him, we ought to start with, Lord, you, you're just better than everything. You just are. You're holy. You're set apart. You're above all names. I want, I want nothing more than, than my life to, to put your name in a place of honor and reverence so that other people can see, not me, not my mistakes, but they can see you. And how incredible you are, and how graceful you are, and how patient you are. They, they can see my mistakes, but, but they can also see you haven't thrown me away. Right. And, and they can say, I want a God like that. Right. And Amen. I can say, you can have him. Amen. He wants you too. Right. And you can set him apart, and he'll set you apart. And he'll clean you out from the inside, and it's, it's the best decision you can make. Back to our passage, that verse 10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. This, hey, this is basically saying, Lord, you know how things work up there in heaven? Like you say something and it goes, and, and you you stand around and the angels say, holy, 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 and and you're worthy, and, and everybody is bowing to you. Man, I want that down here. I, I want what's going on up there to be going on down here. I want my life to to say, yes, Lord, whatever you say. I want my life to be on my face before you. Because again, you're, you're worthy and you're hallowed and you're perfect. I want that here. And that's all about, point two, doing the Father's will. And that's positioning ourselves in humility. It's never about us. It's never about me being on the throne. It's about him being on the throne. That's what's happening in heaven. He's on the throne and he's ruling. And if we're going to ask for that to come down here, well, it's got to start with this guy right here. If if that's what I actually want, then he's got to start with my life. And I've got to offer my life. Jesus, again, as, as usual, is the best example of this. Mark chapter 14. This is just before he's going to go to be crucified. He's in the garden and he's going to pray and ask God for another way. You know, does it, does it have to be this? It's basically the, the feel. Mark 14, 35 says, And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, which is like saying, Daddy, Abba, Father. All things are possible under thee. Take away this cup from me. You know what cup he's talking about? He's about to drink the cup of the wrath of Almighty God on our behalf. And he says, take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but what thou wilt. You know what he's saying? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to I'm going to humble myself to your will right here on earth. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it so. And I'm going to do it by choosing to do what you have for me rather than what I want first. And he goes and he, and he finds the, the disciples sleeping and he comes back up and he prays this exact same prayer three times. And all three times, it's, it's not my will. Not my will, but, but thine be done. That's what it means for for heaven to come here on earth. That's what he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. And this is, this is the day we're longing for, right? When, when Christ is finally on the throne, right. once and for all. Right? He, he's up there with the Father right now, but we're all down here making a mess, right? And he's going to return and he's going to set it straight and he's going to take the throne here and in heaven. We're longing for that day. He's going to put down all rule and all authority and all power because he will be the ultimate authority and power. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth things under the earth, and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. There he is again. God the Father is all about every knee bowing to his Son because there's one way in. It's through Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 3.14 For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul saying, hey, friends, you can choose to humble yourself now or, or you can be a victim of the wrath of Almighty God when he returns. You, you get to choose to put yourself in this position now. And this is also the position we ought to take when we approach him. I'm going to ask for things, Lord. It, it's amazing the things you're willing to ask for when you recognize who God is when you come to him the right way, when you recognize who he is and where he sits and what authority he holds and you put yourself in the right place, you start asking different questions, don't you? Yeah, true. You start requesting different things. You start praying maybe like Paul does. Instead of you know, always asking for everybody's problems to go away and life to get easier and man, this COVID thing, but I just really, Lord, would you just get rid of it? Paul's, Paul prays, I, I pray that you would grow up In the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would mature. I pray that you would have open doors and and opportunities to speak to other people because you're going through some crud right now. I'm not praying for that to go away because people won't notice and you won't grow up. You know what you don't do when life is easy? You don't learn and you don't grow and you don't humble yourself. You become entitled. You actually go the opposite way. There's a little bit of adversity that's necessary. That's just how broken we are. And, and I, I mean, myself above anybody. I, I, don't like conflict. I don't like problems. I would love nothing more than for life to just, you know, sail along smoothly. And no, Lord, I'll, I'll learn every lesson. Just, just give it to me easy. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> yeah. Right now. As I'm afraid of something bad happening, we make promises to God all the time, don't we? You know, give me this and I'll give you that, Lord. No, he says, you get on your face because he's on the throne. That's it. And you start asking things differently. You start recognizing, you know what? Whatever today brings, Lord, whatever COVID throws at us, Lord, you're still worthy. You're still the king. You're still hallowed. You're still perfect. And you still provide. And that's enough. And then he goes and sets you apart as holy unto him. And we didn't deserve it. Look at verse 11. He says, "Give us this day our daily bread, our daily request for bread, receiving provision from His word. Last week we looked at Matthew 4:4. 4, 4. This is when Jesus was taken away into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Uh, you know, Satan says, you know, you haven't eaten for 40 days, you've been fasting, why don't you just go ahead and turn those stones into bread? Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. He's not going to do it at the temptation of the devil, right? And so he turns it around, and he says, "Be answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Our provision, the word of God, is compared to bread something that we eat. You have to consume it. Matthew 5, 45 says, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. Again, our heavenly Father. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For now, God not only provides for his children, he provides for everybody in certain ways. The Word of God is available Salvation is available for all right now, right. Right? whether you love God or you reject him. It's available. It's there. You can consume it. One day, that's going to end. But right now, he's, the provision is out there. The bread is out there. Anyone can eat it. Anyone can pick it up and find the truth of the word of God. And again, that's where our job comes in to, to get it to him. Luke chapter 10, verse 21 says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. See, God, if you reject God and you're prideful, this is kind of back to the previous point. In your pride, God says, I will make the obvious, Inconceivable to you. But, but to babes, to the lowly, to the helpless, man, I'm, I'm going to take care of them. Any one of us, I'm not the smartest guy, even standing behind the pulpit. I'm just the, some things just don't come easy. But you don't need high intelligence to experience incredible things with God for him to Amen. show you things, for him to, to feed you his word, for him to sustain you in this crazy life. Amen. All you've got to do is come to him like a babe. That's right. Come to him humbly, in need. One thing about babies, they, they can't do a whole lot for themselves, can they? No. They need everything provided. And, and that ought to be our approach to him. And, and he provides. Because it seems good in his sight. You should do a word study sometime on on what the word good means in the Bible. It's not what, you know, that was a good burger. (laughs) I like like a good burger. No, it's not like that. Uh, Only the Father is good, the Bible says. That's a, a worthy study sometime. Not for tonight. We'll get distracted. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may given to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God the Father wants to provide that for all of us. He wants to sustain us with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Not, not just knowing about him, it's knowing him. That's what the knowledge of him is. That's what he wants to provide, and that's what, that's what ought to sustain us. We should... Approach Him because He's holy and in reverence. And, and we should get on our faces before Him, and then we should ask Him for wisdom before we ask to get out of a problem, before we ask for anything else we need. Lord, would You, would you sustain me? Would You feed me today? I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to get into Your book, Your Holy Word, your Holy Spirit is inside of me. Would you use those things in my life and, and feed me something today? I, I, I need something from you. But first and foremost, I, I need you to sustain me. Moving to the next verse, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So for those, those of you that went with us to the camp, if you haven't caught up on Sunday's message, Jeff talked all about forgiveness. You, you got to give it a listen. It, it's really good. But point four is debt forgiven. And this is placing forgiveness above vengeance. Placing forgiveness above vengeance. I like the way this is phrased, and I I hate the way this is phrased. And I'll explain. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So it could be as as in, at the same time. So, you know, people hold debt, you know, I hold debt over somebody, and and so I'm going to forgive them, so God will forgive me at the same time. But it could also mean, and and most likely means, in the manner in which you forgive your debtors. So, if, if God was going to forgive you the way you forgive other people, are you okay with that? If, if God is going to hold a grudge the way you hold a grudge, are you okay with that? Now, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But, but just the way he's phrased this, I'll forgive you as you forgive others. Well, that puts a different spin on it for me. That kind of hurts. That's why I don't like it so much. But you don't understand, God, what, what they did to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I understand. Right? Jesus Christ understands all of, of the betrayal. He, he forgave all sin. He took all sin on himself when he drank that cup of the wrath of God. There, there was nothing. There was no betrayal. There was, there was nothing you've ever even felt that compares to what he went through. So if he forgave as we forgive, would we be in trouble? I sure would. Second Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, plural, and the God of all comfort. What is mercy? Anybody know the definition? We, we have a definition we like to use around here. Not getting what you, deserve. Not getting what you do deserve, right? So if, if grace is getting something you don't deserve, you don't deserve forgiveness, mercy on the flip side is not getting what you do. What do you deserve? You deserve hell and wrath and punishment. But mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Amen. amen. And, And in this passage, it's not just the father of mercy. It's plural. How many of you needed mercy more than once in your life? Praise the Lord. He's the father of mercies. Over and over and over again. Because... I'm an idiot over and over and over again. I'm selfish over and over and over again. I put me first over and over and over again. I approach him as though I'm entitled over and over and over, and he's the father of mercies, and, and he doesn't give me what I deserve sometimes. Praise the Lord, Praise the Lord absolutely, that he's the father of mercies. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything... To whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Paul says, I'm able to forgive because I go through him and do it the way he forgives. And here's, here's another reason why. Verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You know what? One of the easiest things that, that Satan uses to drive a wedge in your life to keep you from being okay with the Lord, is is unforgiveness. It's bitterness. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to step in your throne room without permission. Somebody's going to do something to step on your toes and hurt your ego and offend you. They're going to do it. It's going to happen. It's life. And you're going to do it to somebody else, by the way. And if you can't forgive, that's exactly what Satan wants, because you are now an easy target, because you can't even see truth anymore, because your pride's in the way, and your feelings have been hurt, and you are now vindicated to treat that person the way you feel you can treat them. I can do it. I've earned the right, because they did this, and they did that, and and Satan says, easy money. I love when Christians get bitter. because we're just an easy target. He takes advantage of that, it says. He can get an advantage over us. So, you know, the the natural question is, well, what if you've forgiven someone and they, well, they just keep doing it? Well, then we have to go to this other passage that I hate, that, you know, when Peter, you guys remember when Peter (laughs) likes to open his big mouth, say, Lord, what about this? Lord, what about that? You know, Peter's the guy you want in your class so that you don't look like an idiot, right? (laughs) Peter, keep asking those stupid questions because I'm wondering the same thing. I need the answers, but I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not bold enough to to look dumb in front of everybody. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, or shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And and I love this because it's like, Peter's like, I know this seven thing is important to the Lord. Like he... (laughs) He works in sevens. I'm going to hit it. He's going to be very impressed with me here in just a second. Like, till seven times? Lord, right? That's the way, I don't know. I just feel like, that's how I would say it. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. He threw some math out there. That's 490 for you guys who are not uh, engineers like Nick. He had that already figured out. 490 times. You know what Jesus is saying? If you're keeping track, you never forgave. So if somebody hurts you, you forgive them. What if they hurt me again? You forgive them again. How many times? Like I picture the old cartoons when, you know, the, the, the cartoon dive bomber would shoot some plane out and they'd put a stamp on the side of the plane for every, every you know, bogey they took down or whatever. I think they probably did that legit in, in World War I and Two, right? Like, every bogey would get a stamp. I'm going to keep track of how m- okay, forgave him again, forgave him again. Oh, we're up to 360, only a couple more years and I can just blow this guy off. I can't wait. I can't wait until I don't have to forgive you anymore. That sounds loving to me, right? That sounds like forgiveness to me. No, that's the point. If you're keeping track, we're not talking about the same thing. That's what the Lord's saying. Ugh, I don't like that. I want to be able to keep track. It doesn't mean you have to forget. It doesn't mean you you have to not feel. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you have to choose to let that debt go. Right? Remember how he said it? He said, "Forgive our debtors. Forgive forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors." Lord, I'm going to just let them. I'm actually I'm I'm mad at them. I'm hurt. I'm I'm disappointed. I'm all of these things, and I'm just going to give it to you. And I'm not going to require them to pay me back. If, if you want them to pay, you take care of it. If not, I'll just keep handing it to you. I'm just going to keep handing that debt to you because it's not mine. I, I'm not holding it against them. Because you, you didn't hold it against me. Because you're the father of mercies. How many, so again, as we forgive our debtors, you want the Lord to keep track until he gets to 490? Because I think I blew, past, I blew by that yep. decades ago. Right. I know, you, you don't think I'm old enough to be decades, you know, but thank you. <laughs> decades ago, I blew past 490. I mean, you could do that in a week. So if we're going to forgive and expect him to treat us the same way, that, that changes the tone a little bit. The last one is, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To be delivered from evil is to be purposed by his directing. He's going to give you direction and he's going to give you purpose. Excuse me. James 1.13, it's not on your sheet or the, the screen, it says that God cannot tempt any man with evil. He's not going to tempt you to sin. Not, he's never going to do that. He will test you. He will turn up the fire and you might sin, but he didn't. That was never his goal. Right? Those impurities are in there and he might want them to raise to the surface and you may have to embarrass yourself for him to clean them off. But he's never going to tempt you to sin. And so the the thing that Jesus is, is not trying to communicate is, Lord, would you please not tempt me? Don't deliver me to temptation, please. No, the request is, Lord, there's temptation everywhere. Can you lead me around that thing? It's not the same prayer as, you know, can you just take away all my problems? No, it's help me to be righteous in the midst of my problems. Help me to choose holiness in the midst of my problems. Help me to be unlike the rest of the world in the midst of my problems. Right. Help me not to turn to sin. That's the easy way out. Right. He's asking for direction around and away from the temptations that are all around. Psalm 119, How do we do that? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right. And we need to know how to make decisions. There's a whole big book full of direction and light that we need for our path. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Lean on his word instead. I don't know how many times. It's probably almost every time. (laughs) When I lean on my understanding, it almost always, unless I've learned something and corrected ahead of time, to agree with God, it almost always disagrees with what God says. My understanding, my desires, my you know, insecurities. Almost always, if it's just me, it, it disagrees with God and it ends me up somewhere crazy, somewhere bad. I should trust in what he says first. Because first John chapter two, verses fifteen through seventeen tells us this this is what we usually go to when we trust in ourselves. We we trust the world and the things of our flesh. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Most of the things, if it's just me, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because that's just what my flesh wants. That's why I've got to correct it. That's why I've got to lean on his word and his understanding, that's why I've got to have his word lighting my path. Because if it's just me, I'm going to wander off and do something stupid. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. The ultimate end of that is death. But he that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. Matthew seven eleven says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask of him. Amen. So if, if we're going to approach him, we've got to approach him the way that his son said, this is how I approach my dad. You, wa- you want to come hang with me and have my dad be your dad? This is how you approach him. This is how you come to the father. And he's ready to give good things. But if you come to him selfishly, and you come to him for you, for your will, for your own desires, he does not define that as good. He wants to give you good things. Remember, God God the Father is the only one that's good, Christ says. He wants to give good things, so we've got to be in his will as we ask. So, in conclusion, I've got a few more verses here, but maybe some of you Again, don't have a great relationship with your earthly father. And we're going to see some verses that, that show what our perfect heavenly father is capable of, not only capable of, but consistently displays because it's who he is. Maybe your earthly father ruined this picture for you in all his shortcomings. Maybe your earthly father doesn't have the, the ability to, to measure up to any of these things. but. The awesome thing is he also doesn't have the ability to change the truth of who God the Father actually is. He has has no ability to actually change who God is. He's just messed up your perspective of him. So as we come and look and see this is the way we ought to approach the Father, we do it because he's perfect and holy and, and righteous. Our example might have caused you, you know, this example might have caused you to think, otherwise you know if he's like my dad he doesn't deserve anything if he's like my dad he struggles with this he struggles with that well yeah that's that's all of us my kids have a messed up dad too i'm trying but i'm still messed up and i make mistakes and i and ultimately their view of god is going to be tainted somewhere i've not done it perfectly but my shortcomings don't change the facts of who God is. Your dad's shortcomings don't change the facts of who the father is. Amen. And what he's capable of in your life and what he wants for your life. John sixteen twenty three says, And in that day you shall ask me nothing, verily. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the father in my name, he will give it you. If, you know, we talked about taking on the name, not taking the name in vain, not being profane in, in what we pronounce. If you're walking in the name of Christ, the Father's all about that. Matthew eleven twenty six. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. You know what he's going to do every time? He's going to do what he deems is good in your life. So if you don't like it, maybe, maybe it helps your, your perspective a little bit to think, you know what? The Father said he loves me. He said he wants what's good in my life, and he's allowed this thing. I don't know why. I don't like it. I don't like the outcome. I don't like the pain. I don't like the frustration. But he says he has something good for me in this too. He knows you need to go through the fire. Just like, you know, the, the three Jewish boys in, in the book of Daniel. He's in the fire with you, though. He hasn't left you alone. He, he's there with you. And he knows that it's good because when you come out on the other side, there's going to be less of you and more of him. And that's what he wants. And here's a strange reassurance in my life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 10, it says, Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Chastening is, is punishment. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the, love, the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Well, that doesn't sound like a God we want, does it? He punishes me? He, he scourges me? <laughs> How is that love? It says, if you endure chastening, God deal, dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you think about that, if I never corrected my children, how do I display love to them? How are, how are they going to survive in this society if they believe from day one that they're always right? You will hate my children. And so will everybody else in the world. Because they're going to believe, they're going to grow up believing that everything revolves around them. You probably know a lot of people like that. That is setting my children up for failure if they're never corrected. If, if they're just left to their own devices, they are selfish. That's the way we all are. And a perfect, loving father who only wants good for you is going to discipline you. He's going to stop you, and he's going to try to get your attention when you're you're walking down the wrong path. He's going to try to remove things by turning up the heat in your life. He wants to stop us so that we don't end up selfish and consumed with ourselves and never put him on display. He says, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then, then are you bastards and not sons. And a bastard is just a old English word that means you don't have a dad. The reason you're not corrected is because you don't have a dad. God cares enough to stop you, to correct you. Now, you can get to a point where you've put God on the shelf for so long that that he's going to say, okay, well, just... I'll give you more rope. You're not going to like the results of that. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers in our, of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Yeah. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. That means is, you got annoying enough that they stopped you. but he for our profit. Remember, his focus is your good. He for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Again, there's that. We hallow him so he can hallow us. He wants to set you apart as special in his eyes. He's got a special life for you planned. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Man, what a, what a privilege to be considered his child. And the last verse that I have is, now that we've seen all of these things, now that we've seen who he is as our perfect father and, and, and the way he says to approach him, now we can come to Hebrews 4.16 and say, let us come, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He doesn't say come boldly to the throne of grace so that we can obtain our lists of demands and wants and Again, he wants wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. He wants to give you good and awesome things. But let that be his priority, not yours. You make him your priority, and he'll make you his priority. And what he says is good, let him put that in your life instead of what you've predetermined is is your best plan. Because that's the way we approach it, isn't it? We say, God, I've, I've got this all figured out. We're going to have, you know, I'm going to get married by this age. I'm going to have a house and a car and 2.3 children <laughs> and a dog. I don't know how to point. That's just the, the averages of, like, the American dream, right? God, I've got this all figured out. You know, when Jenny and I got married, I, look, I, weighed, I married way up. You all know that. <laughs> it was, like, it was better than what I had dreamed. It was better than what I had imagined. And we had our first kid You know, the timing of everything worked out. Like, oh man, we got our house, we got our kid. And then we had a miscarriage. I was like, God, what happened to giving us, you know, everything that we wanted and our plan was working out and it was great and everything's wonderful and why this? Why not my plan? Well, because I have a good plan for you that doesn't seem good to me. Well, that's because I don't, I don't know very much. My perspective is right here. This is all I see, yeah. and God sees everything, and he sees what's coming, and he sees that there's going to be hurting people in our life eventually, that we need to be able to remind them that God is still good, that's right. and he still loves you, and he still has a plan, and when you approach him, and you can, you can let him have all of your frustration and all of your emotions. If you read through the book of Psalms, David let God have it on several occasions. But By the time David was finished talking, he was on his face. In recognition that God is still good. And he's still hallowed. And he's still worthy. And he's still on the throne. And that's the way we ought to approach him. Let's go ahead and pray and and get the worship team up for one more song. Lord, thank you, as always, for your word and and just for the fact that you want us as sons and daughters. It it blows my mind that you you know the worst about us. You always have. And you still want us in your family. And it's because you know what your son is capable of doing on the inside of us. You save us for our potential, not for who we are. For our potential once you get control. And so, Lord, I pray that 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 would be our approach tonight, is that we would come to you, recognize your holiness, and just lay our lives at your feet. Lord, do whatever you want with my life. Do what you have determined as good. That is a scary, scary thing to say. Because my perspective is so small. Help us, Lord, to to see things the way you see them. Light our path with your word. Provide the sustenance that we need through your word. Take care of us. We're begging you, we need you. But Lord, would you use us in other people's lives? Because as you're taking care of us, we know this is what everybody needs. Life is hard enough. I can't imagine doing it without you. Thank you so much for all of these people in here tonight and for the opportunity to, to share with them what you've, you've been teaching me. And I pray that our approach to you is, is different from here on out. Thank you again. We praise you. We love you in Christ's name.